Well, suicide does bring an extra dimension in um, the shame dimension, especially, and guilt that you have to work with. And I will just say I certainly had to work with. And I was very clear that this was not my suicide. And I did not do this. And I did. Uh, and I was not going to go down in the suicide swamp, as I call it really being differentiating myself from his experience and not isolating myself in that. Hey, midlifers, welcome to the Midlife Makeover Show. Are you ready to break free from your mundane midlife? Are you feeling trapped in a vicious cycle of rinse and repeat days? No matter if you're experiencing a divorce hangover, job burnout, or you just have the midlife blues, I got you. Hey, I'm Wendy, your hostess of the Midlife Mostest. I too was hit by midlife like a freight train. I too felt stuck in the same dull chapter. I wanted the clarity of how to create a new life beyond divorce and the courage to leave an unfulfilling career. But I kept telling myself that I wasn't worthy and it was just easier to stay in my comfort zone until I found a little secret, the freedom to live my life my way. In this podcast, you will learn how to achieve a vibrant midlife mind and body how to create solid relationships through love and loss, and how to create an awesome second half of life. Grab your grande latte, pop in your earbuds, and let's get this midlife party started. Hello there, lovely peeps. Welcome back to the show. Today is Thursday, July 20th, and I'm so eager for you to hear today's episode because today's topic is about overcoming loss and trauma. This is a topic discussed uh, a lot on the show because I want to arm you with as many tools and techniques to get you through the tough times in your life. Not just get through the tough times, but to come out the other side of the loss better than you were before. I want you to look at loss as a gain and an opportunity to awaken and evolve. The reality, you guys, is that life comes with losses and lots and lots of sour lemons. (laughs) You are in control of what you do with your sour lemons. You can make lemonade from those sour lemons or not. I personally like making lemon drop martinis, but, you know, the choice is yours. No matter what, you're the bartender and you are the alchemist of your life. This is your one wild and precious life, so make it good. Before I introduce you to today's incredibly brilliant and beautiful guest, and hear her very inspiring story, just a few reminders. Number one, sign up for the Midlife News at themidlifenews.com to receive insider alerts on new episodes, live shows, free workshops, and special offers. As a bonus, you'll receive your free Midlife Makeover Toolkit and a $50 coupon to the Midlife Makeover Method online course. And that brings me to reminder number two, check out midlifemakeovermethod.com. It is my four-week self-study online course where I teach you how to break free from the cycle of monotony. You'll be able to jumpstart your midlife makeover with clarity, courage, and confidence. Number three, 
Follow me on Instagram or the new threads. Have you heard about it? It's all the craze these days. You can find me at Wendy Valentine or the Midlife Makeover Show, and you'll be able to watch the show live and add a little fun inspiration and laughter to your day. A quick shout out to Dash Doodle, who left a nice five-star review for the podcast. Dash Doodle said, what a cute name, Wendy had such great energy. She makes midlife joyful, exciting, interesting, and real. She's a true joy to listen to. If you are out there listening, Dash Doodle, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. And yes, midlife should be joyful, exciting, interesting, and real. Our guest will bring you more of that on today's episode. Our guest is Suzanne Anderson. She is the founder of The Mysterial Woman. She is a psychologist, author, coach, leadership consultant, and transformational teacher. Her pioneering work in guiding others to awaken their full feminine and masculine strengths combines insights and practices from ancient wisdom, depth psychology, and modern neuroscience. She has dedicated the past 30 years to decoding an embodied, integral, and accelerated archetypal pathway to unlock the next level of our innate potential. Combining her graduate studies in women's developmental psychology together with her decades as a leadership consultant, Suzanne wisely guides women to awaken to the next level of consciousness and leadership capacity, making the changes in themselves they want to shape in the world. She facilitates global online programs, workshops, and retreats, and is the co-author of the triple award-winning book, The Way of the Mysterial Woman, Upgrading How You Live, Love, and Lead. I love that. Just as Suzanne and her co-author had completed the first draft of their book and were ready to launch new programs, her beloved husband committed suicide. Within a few months, everything she had held most precious was cleaved away like a giant iceberg falling into the sea, and she was standing on the edge of a very new life. She experienced how the way of the mysterious woman held up in this transformational journey cemented her commitment to making this pathway available to as many people as possible. Her new book, You Make Your Path by Walking, a transformational field guide through trauma and loss, describes how her shattering breaking apart was also a profound breaking through to a deeper experience of her true nature. Please welcome Suzanne to the show. Enjoy. Suzanne Anderson, welcome to the Midlife Makeover Show. I am beyond excited to have you here because we're going to take a lot of darkness and shine some light on it. And uh, I was sharing with you earlier that we have a lot in common, which uh, I'll share more of that with you as well. Uh, But go ahead, introduce yourself, tell everyone a little bit about you and how you got to be where you are right now. Well, that's quite <laughs> that's a loaded question, Wendy. That's like okay. Well, what, I'll just do the I'll do the little you know bird's eye view of Suzanne. Um, yes, but then we'll dive into it more and more. We'll, um, but my background that uh, you know for years 
through my professional career had to do with, I've actually always been interested in the development or the awakening of potential in men and women. That's just, I always loved that. I loved teaching things when I was a little kid and I taught skiing and I taught, if I learned something, I wanted to teach it to someone else, or I wanted to help them learn it. And uh, that led me, I would say that sort of core part of my nature to ultimately um, being a consultant, management mm. consultant, and specifically in the domain of leadership. That work took me all over the world it was super exciting and really on the edge of a kind of wave that was moving in business in the 90s, where we were shifting from a more uh, patriarchal command and control bureaucratic kind of structure in organizations to something more liberating. And so anyway, that was very exciting. Well, that led me then to see that women in particular, inside of that, the C-suite especially, um, they really had learned how to be successful inside a masculine model of leadership. They'd become mm. one of the boys, basically. Yep. And they were the most resistant to what I was there to, to offer as a consultant, which was a shock to me. That is interesting. Yeah. And yeah. they were suffering at the same time, you know, at the bar at the end of these three-day, say, retreats, executive retreats, um, they would tell me what was really going on. And mm-hmm. I knew how much they were suffering. And they couldn't, and yet when the in the sessions in the in the daytime, they couldn't shift their behavior. They wouldn't share what they'd shared the night before. Anyway, so I knew we had, there was something happening with that population and nobody seemed to be dealing with it. So that was a sort of pivot in my career. A lot of mm. other factors were involved in why that happened, but I was at that time based in Europe in Paris. And, um, and so I opened a private uh, coaching practice in mm. Paris. That led to me recognizing I'm in territory here working with women that I'm like one session ahead of my clients and I need to find out more about that. What's going on? That sent me back to graduate school. So in the, in the uh-huh. field of um, a developmental psychology. So I'm a psychologist. That's my, my sort of academic uh, or professional seat um, along with the coaching. And that brought, then I moved to the United States. That was the kind of arc of my, my life uh, with my first husband. Um, to Seattle, Washington, where actually I still am. I'm Canadian. Um, uh, I still identify actually as a Canadian, but I now live in the United States. And um, and that was 10 years here in Seattle doing research. I put my programs in universities from the very beginning so we could really study what mm. does it mean for women to, to wake up today to the next level of mm. their potential. Yep. Just as that research was complete, and we the actually I'd written the manuscript with my co-author, Dr. Susan Cannon. Um, all right, that's the juncture. I'm going to bring us up to there. <laughs> and then here you are. Here's no, no, Susan. No, no. Oh no, no. <laughs> no, not here I am today. There I was actually 10 years ago on the edge of the precipice of about to go like this, you know, raise my arms and fly into the world with my work. And contribution, which I, I I did feel would be very valuable for women, and and certainly has proven to be so. And I came home to find my beloved husband uh, dead by suicide. Oh gosh, that is the juncture that life, my midlife, yeah, you know, like shake up, wake up, and in every way, when he took his life, he took mine as I knew it. Absolutely uh. everything. Was, was gone. So that maybe situates us. Um, that was 10 yeah. years ago, you know, that we'll, we'll talk about the journey out of that dark night. Yeah. Wow. 
what a story, what a life. Yes. And here you are. I was reading your about page, which is so good. I mean, it's such a, such an amazing story. And I know you were kind of like going through just the, the bulk of your story, but I had read how your mom had passed, I think right before your 30th birthday. Right. Good. Good. Yeah. And then, um, and then your first husband, uh, you were, you know, trying to have children, you were over the age of 40 and after like four or five IVFs, right. Which is so, that is so, I, I had a a friend of mine that went through that and it's tough. I mean, well, it was, I did a two IVF cycles. Oh, two. Oh, okay. I had five miscarriages. Right. Oh my gosh. Yes. Right. So I, that is so, so many losses. Oh, enormous at that time. And Um, even up. Yeah. Even before your, your, uh, recent husband, you know, um, and then, yeah. And then your divorce. After, after all of that, and then you meet, is it David, mm-hmm. David, you meet David and then, uh, and how long was it? What? 2013. I think I'd read oh, David, that David and I were together for 10 years, and 10 years. And then he passed, he passed in, when did he pass? 2013, January 2013. 30. So it's been, 10, it was probably still seems like yesterday. Well, you know, it does. The strange thing is I was on a podcast yesterday with someone and I remember and they asked mm-hmm. something about time. Like, what did it feel mm-hmm. like? Yep. And I realized, you know, the truth is it is, it's a time, timeless time when you, when you, when you go through trauma, there yep. is a way in which you do relate. We call it in psychology, liminal time, like the, um, the order, the way we structure our lives is it's gone. And so we've, we're sort of in this other kind of time. Yeah. And and it seems like forever and never, you know, like both at the same time. And then we we actually all experienced this during COVID. That's the same kind of thing, right? Where oh, that's interesting. I had not thought about that. Those two yeah. years, people will sometimes say, "Have you had this?" I don't know if you've had this experience, but oh, you know, well, we haven't seen each other for like a year. And I said, "No, it's actually three years." Like those two years were just like a blur, just like a in our regular way. So I feel the same way. If someone had said to me when this all happened, that I would A, write a book, because I certainly didn't intend to write a book. And I just wanted to walk through this in a way that, and and see if I could get through this, Mm -hmm. B, with the process I was in, the dark night I was in. But then, or or that it would take, if I was going to write it, it would take 10 years. I would have said, you know, never 10 years. I'll be through, I'll be, you know, back on my life again in, in just a couple of years. But no, it just really took that long for me to to do the second book. You make your path by walking. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, your second book, uh, you make your path by walking. Tell me about there's so much in a is that did I say that right? You you make your path by walking. Yeah. So of uh, which uh like right now I'm in the middle of writing a book, which I know it's such a huge thing, right? You really have to dive deep in your soul for these books, right? Absolutely. And and it sounds silly, but like there's, I always feel like the the title says so much and that there's meaning behind it, especially for the author. So tell me about the meaning of that title for you. Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, I think the title, and I found this with the first book as well, the title is something that comes, it almost arises like an essence later. You know, yeah. I, I mean, maybe some people 
get the title right away and then they write the book because the title's like, wow, that's the title. Yeah. <laughs> it's more like it, 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 it arose, this title. And I didn't know what it was going to call it, what, what actually, what I would call it. Um, but this was a phrase I kept saying from the very beginning, you make your path by walking. And every time I wrote, when I, I should just say, um, so David died 2013. First of all, you know, there was all that had to be handled in the collapse of my world. I really, as I said, lost everything mm. um, because because for all the reasons of what his financial ruin and so on. Um, and so the, when I finally got through that first year and uh, living that full on, mm-hmm. I was ready to return with my co-author to completing and getting a publisher for the for the first book. So first of all, that one had to go out. And then um, about five years later, I was ready to write just to write for myself, which is maybe where you are now. I mean, just yeah. writing my own story. I just needed to write it. And and then I showed it to my my editor of the first book, and she said, this is a book. But what I had seen um, in the writing was I kept saying the sentence all the time, you make your path by walking. And it's a, sen- it's a sort of, it's a little bit of a, I adjusted it a bit, but it's from one of my favorite poems by Antonio Machado, who's a Spanish 20th century poet. And it's this beautiful poem, but it really is speaking to um, there is no there there unless you walk it you are whatever was is gone it Mm -hmm. is that's the very hard and first thing that I really write about here what it means to really land and be with what is which is that's gone and then you have the ground under you and your capacity to be present with what is allows you to make that next step and you make that next step and that becomes the that becomes the path. There's no, and, and also that oh. becomes the path, like not the thing. In other words, it's not just, I have to survive this thing I'm in and get back to where I was. Right. It's like, actually, this is my life. I don't mm-hmm. get moments back. I don't get this day back. I don't get this experience back. And it is from my ability to engage with that experience that my future will unfold. So that's basically the. I love that. I love that perspective. Um, and I've thought a lot about that for myself, my own path. And and it is about, I don't know about you, but I feel like, I mean, with all of us, right? We Someone could go through my experiences and and come out completely different, right? Someone could go through your experiences and be like, oh, I can't get out of bed. I'm I'm just like, I'm done, you know? But you actually took those experiences, made something good out of it. Not just that, but like even just continuing to walk your own path, but helping other women to walk their paths, which, which is, is tough. I mean, I can remember for myself when I went through a big midlife meltdown, if you will, um, and I had, you know, I lost my marriage and my, my brother, my dog, my cat, myself, like everything was completely falling apart in my life. And I can just remember having that decision to make of what I was, which path was I going to go down at that moment? And, 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 and then even to 
it's it's tough. I know I, I still struggle with it a little bit today where it's like, even if I am having a bad day and you're, you know, trying to still shine the light for others, but it's almost like doing that helps you to get through that. So how did you, backing up a little bit, when, you're, when your husband unfortunately committed suicide, how, how did you even, how did you even begin to get through that? Yeah. How did you, yeah. That's, <clears throat> well, well, I think it's important to say um, there is the initial shock of trauma. Yeah. So, so people that are listening, if you're going through a shocking loss, because it could, because really my book, the second book is written for anyone going through any kind of loss. Mm-hmm. The, could be the loss of a relationship. It could be the loss of a of health. It's the way I, you know, something happens in your body, or the loss of a child leaves home and goes off, and now you're empty nest. You know, like something is over. There's that moment when you're it's gone. That is, if you've gone through a shocking loss, you have to. It's really something because the prefrontal lobe just goes off. We know that from the mm-hmm. trauma research, and you don't have there's a sort of healthy denial, let's mm. say, about this isn't really happening. I can't, this can't be happening to me. So let's say we're past that because I don't want to make that wrong for people. There is that yeah. that stage sometimes, but the problem can be if you stay too long in that. And I knew this, this is the work I do with women is actually developmental trauma work. That's the, those are the programs that I run. It's how do you know, ways in which we've put parts of ourselves into the shadow when we were young, we sort of fired and wired things together. So I knew enough to know I wanted as soon as I could to get into the place where I could say, this is really happening. This really Mm -hmm. is, I am, you know, let myself kind of come back down and into my body. And what really helped me do that, I had a couple of very simple things I'd say. One is, uh, and was, that when you come out of the sleep state at, and, and, you know, that's the unconscious and you're in whatever world you're in. Sometimes it's wonderful. Mm-hmm. I can't believe you're waking up to the nightmare you're in. It's like the sleep world is better. Or sometimes it's kind of a nightmare at yeah. night and then you're waking up and you just want to put the covers over your head. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But the thing is, movement is everything in these times. And I don't mean doing all the time. I just mean the simple, this is our human mechanism to keep the system moving. So for me, I'd wake up in the morning and I would require myself to do only one thing, which was to put my feet, swing myself around and sit on the side of my bed and, and do a little prayer. You know, I am so grateful to be in this body, Mm -hmm. to be here today. May my living be a blessing to others mm. path. And I'd make something up each day, but basically that was the essence of it. Like gratitude for, for being here embodied when my beloved husband was not. Yeah. Most time early on, I didn't feel that. I didn't feel it or I didn't, you know, that was something I'm invoking. In other words, I, I was using my, directing my mind, mm-hmm. guide myself to be here. And once I'd done that, I was kind of up and I would let that you know, 2% at a time, a little bit more feeling of gratitude and to be here. And then I could move into my day. So, so that was super important. 
the other thing that was super important for me right from the beginning, um, and I'm giving these practical things so people can really have have something tangible. And uh, and I love that. I want to say because sometimes that's all we need is like, sometimes I was just telling someone yesterday. Sometimes it's the simplest of teachings that are the most profound. Yeah. And and it though that can help you just to wake up. The simplest things of like just put your feet on the floor. <laughs> right. Start there. Like yeah. like you make your path by walking, even if it's the tiniest step. Right. Well, and it will only be yeah. time. And that is yes. the key thing. And yeah. that is the key thing because very often when it's all fallen apart. And in my case, really, literally everything, it feels like, oh, my God, I got to f- do so many things. I got to fix so many things. But no, that's the mind rushing ahead. You yeah. only need to do what's right here yeah. and what what's right here. Just keep bringing yourself back into the present moment. And it's actually an enormous relief when you you do recognize that. But one the other second thing I just want to say is you've you. When the shattering happens, and this was, you know, the shattering of what was, there is, mm-hmm. uh, in my case, and I'd say it's true for all of us, there's a kind of breaking open of the heart. There's a there's mm-hmm. a breaking open. And that breaks us also into the world and into connection. And mm-hmm. it's almost like you, there's more love. Yeah. And it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Now you have to be available for that. Yeah. And that's where, you know, that can happen with one good friend that can happen with a community. In my case, I had an incredible community and family around me. Um, but I cultivated that, you know, that really was essential because you, you're the shattered one and you kind of have a role in these times because it's obviously not in my case. And this David's suicide affected many, many people. Yeah. And it was as shocking. <clears throat> it was a it was out of the blue, we could say, for all of us. So was he was not a depressed man for years. And people Yeah, were- I was gonna ask you about that. Uh, I had actually had a friend uh recently that had committed suicide that was a complete shock. Like, wait, what? You know, it wasn't, oh, this person has been depressed for years, or oh, yeah, kind of expected it, you know. Um, and then even like my brother, I kind of expected it in a lot of ways because he struggled most of his life with addiction. So it was kind of like, okay, I knew, you know, so I was going to ask you with your husband if, yeah, so it was a complete shock then, which. Right. Well, well, what he, he had um, caught, gotten, I guess, which I don't know, contract, I don't know even how to say this, tinnitus, <laughs> tinnitus, which is this ringing in the ear. Have you heard of that? Do you know? Yes, I have. That's interesting. I knew nothing about it until this happened for him. It was about three months earlier. And they don't know what causes it. So that's why it's hard to say it contracts, not a disease exactly. It's it's an imposition in the Mm. nervous system and in the brain, but it can be like the sound of fingernails down a blackboard. I mean, it just can be absolutely horrific. And they don't have a cure for it right now, although there's lots of research going on. So he'd gotten that in October and, and it was literally driving him crazy. He wasn't sleeping and mm. trying to f- come up with solutions. There, there are mostly with severe tinnitus, you have to learn to be with it and to put your attention elsewhere. But um, that was going on. And then at the same time, his business, as I soon discovered, 
he was a he was an Indonesian antique exporter, had a mm. big business here in Seattle, a workshop in Java in Indonesia. And um, yeah, everything was going to come. We had very separate businesses. I had my women's leadership business. He had his, but that was coming down. And and so I believe it was this combination of both yeah. physical. He wasn't sleeping, so he didn't have his right functioning um you know neocortex you could say and then he had this this situation he just wasn't prepared to handle and but he was outwardly um very i mean he was suffering from the tinnitus but mm -hmm. he was still very charming we had just the night before come from a big celebration it was the, the day after two days after he he died was the wedding of his beloved niece and oh son of his best friend from Indonesia, he'd introduced them. All the Indonesians were here in Seattle and we were about to have this wedding. And we had been at a, at an event at a sister's house where he was, you know, the life of the party and toasting everybody and love and so on. So there was a way in which I was about to leave to go and run a program after being writing for a year. My book was complete. I was about to launch. He was enormous support yeah. for all of that. The timing was, you would never imagine who he was that, 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 because he was actually a very generous and loving and kind man. Um, hmm. He would have done it then was, you know, the schism. And this is often the case for those who are considering or have the suicidal ideation. And I know this from, Mm. people who who either suicide tried suicide and didn't succeed yep. or considered it and then never tried it but you know what actually is going on the suffering is so enormous that yeah. everything just comes down so small that the only thing you want to do is relieve the the pain yeah i can imagine too i mean just having had again friends um, commit suicide. And I feel like my brother's was kind of like a, like towards the end, just like a very slow suicide, even though it wasn't labeled as a suicide, if that makes sense. But I, I can imagine though, there's like that, there's so many unanswered questions with the suicide. And how do you, how do you just continue on with your path and have to, how do you let go? How do you surrender to some of these unknowns, I guess, when there is suicide? Well, suicide does bring an extra dimension in yeah. um, the shame dimension, especially, and guilt that you have to work with. And I will just say, I certainly had to work with, and I was very clear that this was not my suicide. Yeah, I did not do this. And I did, uh, and I was not going to go down in the suicide swamp, as I call it. Mm really being differentiating myself from his experience and not isolating myself in that. Um, <clears throat> but I do think, you know, there is, this was that got back to that, what it is to actually accept what is, because yeah. once he chose to do this, um, once this was his path and, you know, I believe that we don't come in as beings. We don't incarnate with the plan to suicide. I don't have that. Word. Right. I right. think it's one of the probability paths, let's say. It could be that. That's one of the many options. But it isn't destiny. I don't believe that's destiny. Mm -hmm. But once he, that was his path, and he did that, 
then I'm all of a sudden on a path, right? I mean, our path looked so different. Mine looked so different with him. Yeah. And it was the path I wanted. It was the future I wanted. But the moment that he did that, I'm on a downward path. And so yeah. my my job was actually to surrender. Mm. To, this is my path. And I will, and interestingly enough, I'll just give this one story that's in the book because I think it's it could be helpful around this whole concept of surrender. I use a myth, a Greek myth, in my work, and I have for years. It's the myth of Persephone and Demeter. Do you know that myth? Mm, I do not. No. Do tell, do tell. You might recognize it. So Persephone is this innocent maiden, and she, mm. this short version, um, and she's picking flowers with her mother. And Hades, who's uh, god of the uh, king of the underworld, um, sees her, falls in love with her, and wants her as his bride. So mm -hmm. he arranges with Zeus, who's the the great, you know, god of gods of Mount Olympus, um, to to have her as his bride. He thunders up one day and grabs her, and she's picking flowers innocently. The Narcissus flower, which is there's some meaning to that in the myth, um, okay. and takes her into the underworld. Well, she gets in there and she refuses to have anything to do with it. It's like I will not be here. This isn't happening to me. I won't any eat anything. I won't talk to you. It's like, this is not happening. And eventually, because about things that happen in the in the longer myth, uh, Zeus decides that it's, she has to be released from Hades and returned to her mother Demeter. So um, right before she's about to leave, Hades offers her some pomegranate seeds. And she thinks, well, I'm getting out of hell. I think I can eat a little something. So she eats these seeds. Returns to the upper world and her mother, first question is, did you eat anything in the underworld? And she proudly says, yes, I, I did. I ate the pomegranate seeds. And that then weds her to the underworld for six months of the year and the upper world for six months of the year. But ultimately, she becomes queen of the underworld and queen of the upper world. Like she ah. learns to embrace the dark her own embodiment, mm. I would say. And I do use this as a guiding myth for women in terms of moving toward our deep inner nature, our yes. fertile ground of our inner world. Right, embracing it and being one right. with it. Being right. one with it. And you think of the yin-yang symbol. Yes. And my work is all based on the feminine and the masculine. And the, the yin is the dark. But we are yep. very much prejudice the the light and, you know, fly. We want to go up and out. And the yeah. work I believe that we need to do right now in this particular evolutionary moment is down and in and unhooking from these 5,000 year old deep, um, hyper, you know, patriarchal codes that are down in the DNA. So all of this to say, there I am. This has happened. I had a friend of mine come over the next day who's himself an author and a ritual elder, Michael Mead does incredible work. And he knows the myth very well. He's a mythologist. And he said to, I was just like, what do I, you know, this is unbelievable. And he just looked at me straight in the eyes and he said, Suzanne, you are being called to go into the deeper, darker mm. place than you have ever been before. Yeah. And you are Queen Persephone. Remember, you are Queen Persephone. And now you need to go. We'll hold space for you in the upper world. You must go. And I remember in that, because I knew that myth so well, I, I, something happened in my, my body, like a surrender. Mm. A surrender to this is my journey now. 
I have been called here. I don't know if I'll go get through. That's the great mystery unfolding. But that this is my path to walk now. Yes, I will not resist this. And and that's really key. So whatever you can do, if you're anyone listening, is in the midst of a big shake-up, shake-up, shake-up in your life. If you can see it as sort of a, I want to call say it a call. Yep. It's hard, yes, but it can also be holy or sacred, let's say. Um, and, and you can discover, the potential is you can discover more of who you can learn to see in the dark. Yeah. That is a profound, profound opportunity. Yeah. Ah, it makes me want to cry. I think as I can relate to it so much and my audience has heard me say, Numerous times on this show that I mean, there's a lesson in everything, especially in the darkest of times. And as, as hard as it is, you got to dive into it. And and I think, too, I, I actually, and I shared about this before previously, but when I started out on my RV journey across the country, you know, last year when I started this show, my first stop was to go to 10,000 Waves in New Mexico. I don't know if you've been there, but such a fascinating place. Um, Very magical, as Mm -hmm. most of Santa Fe is, right? Yeah. And um, I did a ketamine journey. And I had never, I mean, I've done therapy. I've done all sorts of, you name it. You name the books besides yours. I've read them, right? And I got to read yours. I can't wait. Um, but I felt like there was one, like, almost like there was a, sounds a silly metaphor, but is it, is it there was like t- t- tiny lock within me and I had the key, but I just couldn't quite get it. I couldn't quite get in there and release. There was something still stuck, if you will. And I think from all the traumas that I've experienced in my life, they had just kind of built up. Of course, I've I've tried my best to embrace all of them and, and, um, and to, to make light out of all the dark, but there was just one little thing I just could not quite get. And, uh, so I decided I'd heard about ketamine and I was like, oh, what the hell, you know? <laughs> and I tell you the coolest thing that the biggest thing that I got out of it is that I can remember the guide and the psychologist that was there. She was saying, she said, you know, you, you, you might experience some darkness here. And I was so, I was like, that's all I could think about. I was so terrified that what if hmm. I go into this thing and it's so extremely scary and dark. And of course, what happens within the first, probably, of course, no concept of time during a ketamine journey, I would guess it was probably within the first five minutes, I went right into the dark. Oh. <laughs> And I can remember where I still had a little bit of like where I could think during this journey. And what happened was what was so cool, it was black and scary and awful, like the worst nightmare you could possibly imagine. But I remember with my mind, I was like, I don't like this. This is not, I'm I'm done with this. I remember thinking I'm so done with this darkness. I'm ready to come out. I'm like enough already, enough. I'm ready to go live my life. I'm done with this crap. And all of a sudden it was like, like this beautiful light and everything just changed, even though it was uh, very abstract looking, right? And what clicked for me was like, oh, I did that. Right. Like I, in other words, I have control 
over that of myself, that there is this darkness, there is this light, and then I have this power and this control to be able to go go on that pathway as Wendy, no matter what. Like I I can I can change those things. I can I can make light out of the dark, in other words. So I can relate to what you're saying as far as really diving into it, embracing it. And I think my my word of the year is acceptance. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Something I've been trying to learn a lot about. <laughs> yeah. And when you came back out and did that yeah. find that that you that stuck piece, you could feel that had been liberated. Yeah. Yes. Oh, totally. I was like, oh, that was it. That was it. And I, so I, I'm we're describing there the way I would hold it in the work that I do. Yep. Is and I do think um, ketamine and other substances, MDMA. Yes. They're all extremely useful catalytic accelerators. Mm-hmm. Um, but the work that I do is is um, the capacity to turn toward. Yeah. The feelings that have yeah. been. Because if you think of the iceberg metaphor of consciousness, we have what's our who we think we are above mm-hmm. the bit of the cap above the water, and two thirds of the iceberg is below the water, and the direction of the iceberg is based on what's below the water. That's how it flows, right? Yeah, so this huge mm-hmm. unconscious part of us, and you were just describing that 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 stuck embodied, yeah, um, psychosomatic. It is in the body, the feeling that was just stuck. You had all the right thoughts. You had the positive affirmations. You had the positive vision, but something was stuck in the body. And so that capacity to go toward the feelings is everything. And that was really important for me. I knew this because it's the work I do, but that's the same. You know, for me, it was, wow. It would be like, let's use the surfing metaphor. You know, I already knew how to surf the feeling. I think of you know, like the ocean, like feelings come and go and they move. And I was pretty good at riding those. And then all of a sudden you're on the big waves. Yeah. Jaws, I think actually jaws are the big, like this enormous wave. And you, you think, seriously, am I ever, you know, get me off this wave. But there is the, that capacity to turn toward and yeah, trust yourself to ride it because it will, yes. will, it, you will go, it will be hard. And, and this is where yeah. I think that limbic support of other having yeah. friends with you that mm. can just hold you and be with you and let the waves move because, and, and also this is where rituals really, really powerful. And I have a lot of rituals that I write about in the book because ritual speaks to the unconscious yeah. and it talks to that part of you that would otherwise could get stuck, yep. could not move. You know, the feelings, mm. of grief, feelings of grief, of anger, of fear. I mean, I had to work with all of those feelings. If I was going to yeah. come through this, um, yeah, with more of myself intact, if I wasn't going to mm. take detours and, you know, like there's the self, the me that this occurred to, that identity was not the me that could forgive David. I had to actually grow that. But, you know, I knew that I wanted to be able to forgive him because I knew my own freedom was right. very tied up in that. Yeah. I knew that, but I was not going to do it as a spiritual bypass. Like I would actually have to 
cultivate the identity mm-hmm. where I would, and that would mean working with all of these feelings that would be able to really process that for myself, own what had happened, be with mm-hmm. the experience, the impact of his suicide, and then really be able to have the compassion and understanding for the suffering he was in and the the only choice he could make, mm-hmm. the only act he could do, which was that. It's so tough for, for someone out there that maybe hasn't done, you know, the therapies and, and all the different things like, like you and I probably have. And if something traumatic has happened in their life recently, where would you, where would you say to start? Yeah. We'll get my book. Yeah. <laughs> no, really. Exactly. Yeah. All of the memoir guidebook, the, the second book, you make your path yep. by is um, I think you can both, it's very real story of mm. my walking, but it's also kind of a guide for for how you can cultivate the capacity to become more whole through the breaking down, actually. Yeah. So, so anyway, that's one that you need. I feel um, though that's like an outer guide. It can be, I would hope an outer guide. And I think it already is for people who came out a month ago and I'm yeah. hearing from women or from people in general, actually from men and women. Um, but in the absence of, you know, that there may be a simple practice I'd say would be in the first place to start is probably just the self-compassion. Like mm. this, uh, we're so hard on ourselves when things fall apart and, and we're so afraid. And we have this beautiful uh, research of Kristen Neff, who has worked with what actually happens in your body when you do a self-compassion practice. Mm. And I have a practice actually in the book, but it's basically, you know, ten. it's like you bring your own inner mother on board. Yeah. You know, this is really hard. I am suffering right now, Mm. but can I be kind with myself right now? Yeah. And I'd be compassionate with myself right now. And it's actually very interesting to watch what happens in the nervous system when you do that, because what you're trying to do when you're going through an enormous loss like that is settle yourself down. You're literally the the anxiety and activation in the brain so that you can have the capacity to see what step to take next, right? To, To actually be able to take that one next step. I would say, yeah, I'm glad that you said that. That was probably the greatest thing for me that I did was to become my own best friend, to become my own cheerleader. And, and I always say like your, your mind is either going to be your best friend or your worst enemy, right? Your greatest cheerleader or your worst critic. And I had not, I think actually one of the things, one of the greatest things that came out of the pain and suffering was sitting with the pain and suffering and hearing my thoughts about my life, about myself. And then I realized how I talked to myself and how unkind I was. Yeah. And I thought, man, this, you know, it can be such a tough world as it is. And it's like, I just need at least one person. Why don't I be that one person that's going to be really, really kind to myself? And that really changed a lot for me, changed everything. And I think what you're also speaking to is the the potency of 
getting what's internal, external. So journaling, mm-hmm. super important. Yes. I recommend a particular practice that I, I have in the book. You, because the moment you are or, or, or talking to a friend or getting it externalized, the moment you actually say it, both what's what's negative, you know, let's say what's not so creative, you hear yourself repeating all the time these comments that really are like, I'm a victim, I'm a victim. And then you go, wait a minute, no, uh, that's actually not true. But until you say it out loud or you write it out loud, you know, you write it in your journal, that could just be going on. And that's that two thirds of the iceberg under the water and directing you. So I think, you know, finding a guide or a therapist um, or a good friend that you can can speak what's going on. Like, don't be ashamed of the shakeup. I feel in the the first book, The Way of the Mysterious Woman is um, that came out in 2016. This, this I write a lot about where I feel in particular women are right now. We're at a very key pivotal point of waking up, an evolutionary tipping point. And women are being invited by, you could say, evolution itself to bring on more of our deep feminine wisdom, more of our deep masculine wisdom, and then weave them together into this way of being that I, I personally feel hasn't been seen before. It's emerging now, this more complex uh, way of being to meet the challenges of today. So that means you don't get there without the shakeup, right? We have to shake up these old ways of being. So if you can, you know, just trust that you are, this is your transformative, your mutative fire, like you're in the cauldron here and things don't mutate without heat. That's just yeah. the truth of it. And I think we're in a really important uh, time of mutation where future generations are going yeah. to be grateful for those of us today that are willing to be uncomfortable to shake things up. That's know? so wild uh, because we just changed the book title yesterday to Women Waking Up. My great. <laughs> right. like, yeah, it's true. We need to wake up. <laughs> well, I here's my thing. I think we need to wake up Yep. Then we need to grow up. Yeah. Like literally grow up and that's yeah. do the developmental work. And then, and this is, this is all the work I do. We need to show up in the world. We actually need yeah. to be the agents of change. That's mm-hmm. why the work I do, I call leadership work. It's not about always being in an organization, but it is, I mean, you're, you're being a leader. You are what you're doing in your podcast, showing up with your message and transmitting it in your wholeness and your vulnerability. Mm-hmm. that leadership, those of us that are, you know, willing to, to be the women on the frothy edge of evolution is what I sometimes say, you know, that's yeah. really key. I love too, is just, just talking to you and seeing you here and you, um, you are a light, like you don't, there's a lot of people though, that, that have been through a lot of trauma in their life that they, it's almost like they want to hang on to it. They want to carry that the darkness and, and almost, you know, it's like their identity. And, um, I think it's, that's one of the great things too, that as you remove the labels of your trauma, the, the woman that you can become from it is just extraordinary. Yeah, absolutely. And, and one of the, uh, I did a number of rituals for myself, because I, as I said, I know they speak yeah. to the unconscious, but there were definitely 
parts of me, and I really felt it firsthand that did not want to leave the dark, dark, you know, because it meant I'd have to leave David further behind. I yes. have to, you know, would I be okay? Like, so I did work with myself around that to be able to, mm. to really keep coming forward with the parts of me that didn't necessarily want to come forward. I actually, I would notice this right before my new book came out. So maybe 10 days before I had started to wake up every morning with this feeling like a heavy blanket over me. I was mm. depressed, sort of anxious. Um, everything just felt horrible. And I'm moving toward this exciting moment of my book launch. I mean, yeah. and I had a big event, you know, that was happening at the, so what was that about? And I know enough in, in my work, you know, to know something is going on. And I started to journal to find out who, what's going on here. And I got in touch with a part of myself that was a younger part, or let's say the, mm. the, that part that the last time she came, she wrote a book and got ready to come out. Uh... Um, the, the iceberg cleaved away and I was left on the shore of a huge void. So was it safe? Is it okay? And, you know, mm. are you sure you're going to do this? And I'm not sure you, you should do this. And we, I just had a dialogue with that part of myself. And you know what I did was, and this is always a good thing to do, is I just slowed myself down. It was like, there's a part of me, I'm rushing toward the threshold, you know, like in the, in the hero's journey or the heroine's journey, uh, as yeah. I talked about, right? There's the descent. Okay. Then the, my book is structured in these three sections. Then there's the initiation where you go, you slay the dragon and all the things go on. And then there's the return, you know, when you come back. Yeah. Um, and this was a big return moment for me, for sure. I'm bringing my book out into the world. It was like, okay, mm -hmm. I'm leaving. And I realized I, I'm, there's a part of me rushing there. And there's another part of me that's digging in her heels. And unless I bring her along, I'm not. And, and within two days... I mean, that whole uh, emotional pattern released was amazing. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, it's not, it's like, this is the lived experience of the things, let's say I might know, but right. I, I didn't, hadn't actually lived so directly. Like, no, you have to include that part of you right now and slow yourself down to be with her. But there's a part of me that can be with that part. I'm not that whole part, right? Yes, exactly. That's the yep. whole yeah. yeah. And I love what you said uh, earlier, basically asking yourself, what's underneath this? Right. And I've, you know, I've learned to ask myself that question. If something bubbles up and I'm like, oh, why am I feeling anxious or nervous or depressed or sad or scared? What's underneath this? Because there's something deep beneath those layers that it's not really as it appears, Right. It's always something kind of hidden there. Like you end up be becoming your own detective, <laughs> you know, with your... Well, beautiful. That's beautiful that you have yeah. that. Self-awareness is, is an essential first step to the, to the growing up part, right? Yes. You have to have the willingness or the curiosity, let's yeah. say, to, to notice what's going on. Like that is, that's the self-awareness piece. Like, wow, I'm feeling this. Now, you know, do I just try to run away from it? Yeah, distracting myself or medicating or whatever, or do I turn toward it, you know, two percent more? Like, you know, it might be journaling, that might be working with somebody that helps you 
really access it. Might be meditating. What's your what's your go-to tool for if you have you're having a bad day or you know whatever maybe some old memories are popping up and you feel depressed or sad or angry what's your go-to tool in the moment and in the moment tool mm-hmm. well i'm gonna first of all i'm gonna just say uh the container we create for ourselves is mm-hmm. everything and that's something i do in the morning and every morning and yeah. it's something i in both of my books i i write about how to do that because that sets the Mm. stage for these human vessels we are in. So I, I move my body and do energy. So I run or I bike or whatever exercise I'm doing. I meditate, I journal, I work with an altar. I work with sacred Mm. practices. That's that takes some time for me, but all Mm. of that uh, really prepares the container. So that it's, you know, when it does occur in the moment where I feel anxious, the first thing I would do is I would notice it. I would go, whoa. And the second thing, like if I'm in the moment would where I have to then, I've got something, another meeting coming up and I've got to go and do whatever's there. Breathing is everything. Yeah. But yeah. we just know the neuroscience of this. A lot of my work is grounded in neuroscience. And it's, you know, even though it seems like that's too simple. but I know. I know. The thing of turning toward, you deepen your exhale, you just sit and do some long, deep breaths and let your, ner- because all of a sudden um, your, your whole nervous system starts to settle. If I have a little more time, and I do this actually most days because my, my days are intense with the work that I do. Um, after lunch, I go for a walk without any podcaster like it's just I call it an awe walk awe and I don't <laughs> I'm not distracted by anything I'm just looking at what I'm seeing and I walk it's just short it's like 10 minutes um it's not my exercise per se but it's just letting everything settle in my system like coming back to being kind of coming into myself in that way um one other thing I would say I do that is like an instant settle for me and these are all things that bring you settle your nervous system, but it's scent related. Mm, oh yes, I love that. I could just I settle. I wear a, a sandalwood rose kind oh. of thing. Or I was just I, about to say that's one of my favorites. Is it? Like, <laughs> yes. Or I or I burn a little Palo Santo or a little sage, mm-hmm. and I smell what 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 happens is you come. This is the the sensory system. We come into the present moment. And it evokes states for me yeah. of, mm-hmm. you know, well-being or something sacred and I'm okay. And yeah. So those are a few. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, it's almost like embracing the the human being that you, we're a human being being human. Right. And we sometimes forget that. And it's just giving the human being the the vessel what it needs and a lot of times when you do that, it just naturally your emotions will will settle and you you become more present. You become like, okay, I'm on this path. Yep. You like it's almost like that big red dot that says you are here. <laughs> that's right. Oh, that's right. I'm here. Right. Yeah. Okay. Right here. Because the mind wants the mind is the thing, right? We right. 
are our minds. And so I've had a long decades long meditation practice that that capacity to be mindful, to really notice yeah. the mind stream because the mind wants to go back in time and fix everything that already happened that you can't, or wants to go way out to all the anxieties of the future. Yeah. And that's the job is really, you know, when I feel anxious, it's, it, it is the surfing. Um, yeah. I notice this in, sometimes in the middle of the night where, and especially shortly after this all happened with David, the waves would be enormous. And the job I had was simply not to attach my thoughts to the wave. And it actually, they don't last that long. It seems like you're going to drown. But if you can just breathe and stay with the wave as it moves and not keep your mind still, yeah. it will just move. It's it's That's how this beautiful instrument has been designed. I would say we are a divine essence in our human vessel here. Yes. That sense of our, our soul, our deep essence, we're we have this vehicle and that's yep. our job to tend and care for it. And the mind is one of the tools we have. One of the greatest lessons I got, um, it's strange to say, but seeing my brother suffer, he went into a coma. Well, the first time when he went into a coma and I remember walking into the hospital room and seeing him there and it was, it was one of the scariest moments of my life and also the most peaceful. Mm. And the reason being is because for the first time, I didn't see him as an addict. I just, I saw him as a soul with a body and not a body with a soul. And when he came out of the coma the very first time, he, it was almost like he forgot he was an addict. Mm-hmm. And he was like this little boy, actually. He was he, he was like maybe 12 years old when he came out of this coma. And I, those couple of days were the most beautiful moments because he was just pure and not dragged down by his own suffering. And so it's like when we, we think about that for ourselves, right? Like how we can have more compassion for ourselves and not attach all this suffering. And that's who we are. That's not who you are, who you are. Like you are this beautiful, beautiful being, so right? Not sometimes there's a Buddhist expression that I also write about, but there's not suffering the suffering. Mm-hmm. Like that, that's like, I knew there was going to be so much suffering already. So yes, I didn't need to, because very often we'll get, into the suffering and we keep talking about all the suffering and we're suffering. suffering yes. Suffering, yes. Suffering. It's going yeah. to be hard enough. If you're going through a big wake up call yeah. in your life, um, then that's what you're going through. And so yeah. that suffering, uh, reduce suffering by not suffering the suffering. Yeah. By, you know, <laughs> I can. Yeah. I know what you mean. Yeah. You're almost like you're accepting the suffering, but you're not going to stay attached to it. Right. You are not the suffering. You know, it's, right. like, it's really interesting right now. I'm a big um, 
uh, road biker. And mm-hmm. there's the Tour de France is on right now, um, which I absolutely love, which is the big professional bike race and goes through. I don't know if you, when you lived in France, if you ever were, saw the Champs-Élysées, they finish always on the Champs. Yeah, I was actually there when they were, yes, it's yeah. amazing. It's yes. amazing. Well, they, these guys, they're incredible at many levels, but one of them is that they, it's a, it's a sport of enormous suffering. That's how you are good at it. You are willing to put your body right at the limit and what they do. And this is such such a classic example because they go up these incredible mountain passes and they have to bike at this enormous speeds and they are dying, but they have learned how not to suffer the suffering. Like this is hurting. There is going to be pain. Yep. There's no way there won't be pain in my legs and in my lungs going up the hill, but yeah. I'm not going to, you know, I, the, the really good ones have learned how to discipline the mind to take the body as far as it can go. Yeah. And I feel that's, that's the same kind of thing. The discipline of the, the mind yeah. here that wants to exacerbate the situation that yep. just is what it is. It you is- acknowledge, you acknowledge it. Yes. Essentially. Like, hell, yeah. And that was one thing too. I, I had learned to kind of almost speak to it like, Oh, hello. Like, <laughs> hello, suffering. Yep. All right. Let's do this. You know? Um, and you know, quick story. I had my, my ex-husband had died when he was only 26 years old and I was a single mom, two kids did not have time to grieve. I, I mean, if that's maybe even that was an excuse at the time, um, I had just started a new business. I was waitressing two other jobs. I mean, it was nuts. Never, ever really grieved. Um, and then, of course, what happens is more losses happen in my life, especially when my brother passed. That grief bubbled to the surface. Yes. And I can remember when I was you know, flying to Texas to go um, to see my brother before he passed. And I told myself, I'm like, damn it, you were going to grieve this time. <laughs> like, I'm, and I looked at myself in the mirror. I said, I'm going to give you the gift of grieving. And I was determined to just plow into it, to, to, to know that it was here and also know that all the other pain and suffering that I had not addressed, that I did not acknowledge as I'm like riding the the tour de France, the tour de pain, of, <laughs> tour de suffering, you know, that I was like, I'm going to acknowledge this pain and suffering and ride it through. And yeah. I tell you what, it was, it, not to say that it was easy. It was not easy in any way whatsoever, but it was easier acknowledging the pain and the suffering and the death and the loss and everything rather than going, oh, let me just set this on the shelf for a while for 10, 15 years. Right. It, it's almost like it goes quicker. 100%. Not that there's time, but you know what I mean? Like I, it, it I, yeah, I, it flows through you much easier and you're able to get to the other side of it and, and move on. And because that you deserve to move on, right? You deserve to be able to continue on your path. Right. And I, yeah. and I also, I'm just hearing your story for the first time. And I, I also mm. say I have enormous compassion for the Wendy of that time. Right. Did really all she could do then. And that yes. was already enough, you know, that was enough. Yeah. 
And that Wendy didn't have the capacity to, to be with the feelings then and probably wisely. I consider that, you know, what we yeah. call an adaptive strategy, mm. like that mm-hmm. strategy now. But the yeah. beautiful thing is that, you know, these feelings don't go away. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, they, they will come back up. <laughs> that's the two thirds of the iceberg, right? And that you came back. And I, I know for with David's death, I did another layer of grieving from my mother. Mm. Um, I was going to ask you that. Yeah. If that, that just kind will of, happen, that, that's just yeah. natural. It's kind of like, it's, if it's, if you don't go looking for it, like piling on, like what are all the other horrible things that happened to me? Let me see if I can really grieve, but yep. it, they will, it will just tend to arise yep. um, because your heart is so broken open and yeah. the, the, the other losses are kind of there and there's a chance for another layer of, just because to love is to lose, you know? And so you really also touching the love, the Mm -hmm. the love that was there that you had for that person or that life or whatever it was. And, and that's, there's a kind of beautiful harvest there of Mm -hmm. that. If you can ride the wave. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what too, I mean, you talked about this at the very beginning, but I mean, Lost doesn't always have to be death, right? And totally. an empty nest, a divorce, um, you know, the loss of a job, even COVID, like that brings up a lot. So it's normal if you're out there, you know, and you're going through something, you're like, I don't understand why I'm having such a hard time with X, whatever it is, right? It can be a lot of other things that are bubbling up and that's normal. And it's a great time to dive into it. Yeah. Yeah. Because there is so much beauty on the other side of it. And you can get through it. And you don't put a time limit on it. There's like, you know, with grief, there's just not a time limit. Sometimes, it, and you, only you know, just like you had your moment. We were like, here it is. Like, <laughs> like here's the light. And, and I'm sure for you too, it's like, you still experience those dark moments, but now you've got the tools and the techniques to be able to move through them. Well, yeah. And let's just say this is Queen Persephone. I mean, I, I would right. say I always have valued the dark and the light. That's the work I do, you know, that we have both and we learn, she learned she's queen of the underworld and queen of the upper world. And you know, when you have to go in and navigate and you know, when you're up in your sort of sovereign stand in the world and so on. But I definitely have a deeper sense of that now than I've ever had. It doesn't mean that my life is all, I figured it all out. I don't know that or want that. It's Mm -hmm. like, I am unfolding the mystery of my becoming, you know, by day and week by week and year by year. And this new book and the, the ways that will um, move in the world will, take me somewhere um you know that I can't quite see yet and that's that's I'm yeah. unfolding yeah you just keep keep walking the path yeah that's so cool all right oh my god there's such, such a good conversation I love it yeah. <laughs> so where can we find you yes well the website is mysterial m-y-s-t-e-r-i-a-l woman.com and you'll find out on the website or in my first book why where that word came from. I actually invented it. Um, 
And so I think it, it's speaking to I this. I ask you about that. I was like, wait a minute. I was like, that is such a cool word. I know. And a lot of people feel like I've heard of that. What does I, that mean? I love that. Um, somebody actually, you know, I've heard of people who have had heard other people use the word. So oh, I'm interesting. starting to move. You know, the first <laughs> 2016, so it's had a few years. But anyway, mysteriowoman.com is my website. You'll find out a lot about the work that we do with women, um, the leadership programs that we do. You'll find the page for both of the books. And actually, I just for those of you that are listening to this, that are really responding to um, or find yourselves in this in a shaking up time, a time of loss, disruption. The second book, You Make Your Path by Walking, is a great place to start. And I have on the website a link to inspirational poetry because poetry was really essential navigation tool for me to 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 take a poem inside and live with it that you know when you're going through those kinds of times it's it's almost like so few words can hold the complexity yeah. which you're experiencing but poetry is just for that so all the poems that were really helpful for me and then um in the fall we're going to launch a new program based on this new book you make your path by walking um and then i have my my long my deep dive um life-changing work of the mysterial leadership emergence program that's 15 months and that next one starts in 2024 oh nice so, yeah but get on my mailing list if people feel a resonance with what i'm saying and doing and i send out newsletters and share what i'm thinking and um do little videos and yeah Ah, you're such a beautiful woman. Thank you. Thank you, you, Wendy. You can Instagram and Facebook and um, all of that is a mysterial woman. Yeah. Mysterial woman. Dun, dun, dun. I love it. Thank you so much. This has been great. And now for the nuggets of midlife wisdom from today's show. Number one, you make your path by walking is the knowingness that whatever was is gone to be present with what is And taking that next step becomes your path. You don't get moments back, this day back, or this experience back. And it is from your ability to engage with that experience that your future will unfold. Number two, movement is everything during times of trauma and stress. Continue to move the vessel that carries your precious soul. Number three, you only need to do what's right in front of you in the present moment. Take small baby steps to bring yourself back to life. Number four, suicide brings an extra dimension of shame and guilt that you have to work with. So you do not end up in the suicide swamp. No matter your type of loss, surrender that this is your path to walk now. Number five, The capacity to go towards the feeling is everything. Ride the tidal wave of your trauma and losses, but do not attach your thoughts to the wave. Breathe through it and the wave won't last long. Number six, if you are experiencing tough times in your life, do the following. Start reading Suzanne's new book, You Make Your Path by Walking. Practice self-compassion. Settle yourself down and journal your thoughts and feelings. Number seven, if you are experiencing a bad moment or a bad day, acknowledge it, breathe through it, 
take an awe, A-W-E, walk and add a yummy scent to settle yourself back into your body. Number eight, discipline your mind like the cyclist and train yourself not to suffer through the suffering. That was such a great conversation. Thank you so much, Suzanne, for sharing your story and your gifts with my audience. Make sure you check out Suzanne's website at mysteriowoman.com and get a copy of her new book, You Make Your Path by Walking, or her previous book, The Way of the Mysterial Woman. Also, sign up for Suzanne's newsletter on her website to get notified of her upcoming programs. Thank you for tuning into the show today. Join us on Monday when we speak to Jen Sapel with Utour Wealth, when we discuss why it's important for women to become more financially confident and how to use money in a way that supports your beliefs and aligns with your values. It is a must listen. All right. Have a great day and enjoy your weekend. Did this podcast inspire you, challenge you, trigger you to make a change or spit out your coffee laughing? Good. Then there are three ways you can thank me. Number one, you can leave a written review of this podcast on Apple iTunes. Number two, you can take a screenshot of the episode and share it on the social media and tag me, Wendy Valentine. Number three, share it with another midlifer that needs a makeover. You know who I'm talking about. Thank you so much for listening to the show. Get out there and be bold, be free, be you.